Hello and welcome to the Schooner Pod. I'm your host, Bobby Howard. With me today is Ty Lee and all the way back from Europe, Jameson Maxwell. Jameson, welcome back on the show. Thank thank you. It's a great time to be back. Uh, It's starting to get a little bit warmer and some things going down with some OU football. So let's talk OU football like we always do. Yep, absolutely. Just uh, get right into it. Um, Obviously, we have to kind of start with some of the big news. um, And we can say his name essentially because some people have already said it. uh, Kerry Murdoch specifically. Um, Very scary occurrence at practice this morning. Or not practice, but rather a a spring workout. Um, Apparently, it seems that uh, Gentry Williams, um, there was a a medical event uh, with him. And he is, he's since cleared. He's back in Tulsa uh, and very, very happy to hear from that, that, that did not end up very, you know, very badly. Uh, we're all very fresh with the DeMar Hamlin stuff. So like a lot of stuff is weird, um, but um, it seems like everything's okay. And uh, our thoughts are with him for sure. Yeah. I think it's good that we haven't really heard too much about it. It's keeping on the DL. And yeah, you bring up the DeMar Hamlin thing. I just want people to know for what everyone assumes it is in the medical community, that is a once in a blue moon kind of thing, like a millisecond chance that happens. It's not that common. But anytime, you know, a young kid who's an athlete who passes out on, you know, a football field, a basketball court, you know, you get a little bit worried, but quick discharge from the hospital, you would think it was just a really, really hard Schmitty workout. It'd even make me feel a little bit better if it was warmer out, but you know, Schmitty has been really pushing them hard and I wouldn't be surprised. Hey, it's spring break one last go and they're sprinting across the finish line right now. And he just had a tough workout and um, maybe have enough water or something. Yeah, for sure. You never know. And that's kind of how, how these things are. Uh, in a lot of ways, there's not really a, a reason, you know, to release a guy's uh, personal medical information when it's something like this. So I, I think always good to hear when someone has as not when someone has been taken in, but when they've been released and they're doing good, and they're able to to get some time to to convalesce. So good timing, I guess, if you're going to go down and practice right before spring break, so you get a little bit of time off. And and like we're talking about, hopefully it's just one of those issues that that uh, can come up and, and it was an abundance of caution situation. Like we talked about, you know, maybe some sort of um, heat issue with just a hydration or whatever else it's, it's difficult to do as a, as a football player nowadays because of how well managed they are, but uh, nothing is impossible, especially when we're talking about getting right into, into the start of things. For sure. Absolutely. Um, it is a tough strenuous uh, sport and uh, workout program. So uh, yeah. A lot, of, a lot of stuff can happen there, but we're not going to speculate about it. We're not going to go deep into it. Instead, we're going to talk about um, OU at the Combine, guys. So uh, a lot of interesting things happening there. Some guys made money. Some guys had uh, unfortunate situations. But um, one of the things that stood out to me was uh, an interesting question, I guess, that Marvin Mims got about the route trees uh, in which he they asked him what route trees he knows, and he essentially said... Uh, the offense doesn't do that. Uh, he never taught it. But um, Jameson, I, I don't know. I, I don't think this is something to really worry about, given the uh, levy system. What do you think? It, it made me just worried overall about what you know wide receivers are going to look at OU's offense. Like, are you getting prepared to go to the NFL and go ahead and make big paychecks if you have that kind of talent? And Marvin Mims really didn't talk too highly 
about, you know, his scheme and the way he played at OU. And it kind of was a shame, to be completely honest. I feel like, you know, Marvin was kind of hedging himself, saying like, hey, I had a really good year. And then, you know, last year I was a little bit, you know, handicapped a little bit in what I could do. It just scares me a little bit. And it's not like that Marvin was completely upset with OU as a whole. He was still talking on their Twitter account. Um, but still, like, you could see he was a little upset of how he was used. And there was talk that he might come back for one more year because his um, draft stock wasn't as high as they thought it was. There were, like, some first-round draft grades in the offseason. Um, but I think he decided um, with the scheme and what he was running with his route trees, it's probably this is where he's going to be. Yeah, and I think for a receiver specifically in the NFL, that's one of those positions where you can make the argument that maybe development in college uh, after you've played a couple of years isn't isn't super, super important. I mean, look back at, at just some of the most uh, high-profile receivers in the past couple of years that I can think of. I'm thinking of a lot of names that don't necessarily – obviously, there's a lot of guys, C.D. Lamb, for example, that come from big-name universities, but there's a lot of receivers that come from – smaller places too. And obviously you leave some money on the table by your draft stock falling to begin with, but at least for receivers, the NFL is certainly a place where you can sort of write your own destiny a little bit more than other position groups. Quarterback comes to mind where your draft stock is, is very important and can very much drive your entire career. Whereas receivers, I think have a little bit more opportunity to, to individually control their destiny just in how they perform because of the nature of the position and, and the position in the NFL. So four, three, eight, 42 tie, like, like that mm-hmm. really helped him a lot. I think that was one of the top five fastest from wide receivers. Um, so like he helped mm-hmm. himself for but, sure. Yeah. And, and, you know, he has this, they know he has the skills, you know, in the NFL. And, and I don't know necessarily that it's, it's too important to them, you know, how you, how you specifically performed. I mean, the scouts are professional NFL scouts for a reason, and they can sort of, cut through the chaff and and look for what they're trying to look for and and not necessarily tie a guy too much to his team. Right. I, I think that's the biggest thing, you know, with, with the receiver position, you're tailored to a system, you're tailored to an offense and, you know, route sure that, that sort of stuff can be learned. Um, I don't think that's the biggest issue there with it's kind of, um, kind of like an Oregon quarterback, Bobby. Like everyone says, I don't want to touch Oregon quarterbacks because they're just system guys. And I hate to t- toot the chargers horn, but I mean, like, you know, even if you're bad in a system, scouts are going to look at you and your, in your performance. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's a part of it. Um, you know, it's, it's, and, and not only that, but like, I, I feel like speed and, you know, everything with that, it, it's hard to have a, I mean, I would say there are a very few guys that are system receivers. I, uh, guys like, you know, a Danny M and Amandola, you know, you know, the, the, the type of slot guys that, uh, Randall the, the Cobb. Yeah. Randall Cobb, you For know, the Packers. Yeah. He's going to follow wherever Aaron Rodgers goes. Yeah. Guys that just don't translate all the way, um, in a different, you know, system, for the most part, that's 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 a rare, small, thin group of uh, receivers. You know, I, I I think it's it's more about you know, I think it's more about fit and uh, and you know, skillability that that will travel. I think uh, to most places. So, and Mims mm-hmm. is the type of guy who can really make some money in this league. I think. Yeah, I was really surprised that he went under four four because there are a lot of times where I feel like he didn't get as much separation as we'd seen the past year, last year, 
it just seemed like I know he's fast, but I didn't as a sub 4-4 guy. So I think that is a big thing. Being under 4-4 as a wide receiver with a close to a 40-inch vertical is a really big deal. I think he made some money. Obviously, we if we're talking about money, like you said, we're not going to talk about um, – we're going to have to talk about Jalen Redmond this podcast because you knew as soon as he came into Norman, this is a type of guy that's going to test highly on all the numbers for the weight and the body type that he has. Yeah, absolutely. Jalen Redmond, you know – uh, like you said, comments here, perfect combine guy. He, he has those intangibles, you know, that, you know, he, he, he is a guy who you look at the, the combine. You're like this, this guy must've been a, just a, a first round Four, eight. Or, yeah. That's ridiculous. It's unreal. That, that speed from, from a D lineman is, is unreal. And you know, his ability, you know, it, it's one of those, like he never quite hit his stride at OU. He had, he had moments, but you know, his durability, you know, he was he was always dealing with injury or health issues and just couldn't quite get on the field as much as we would we would like. But um, in terms of the measurables, my gosh, great weekend for him. For sure. I, and I think that that's obviously something that is worrisome, I think, across the board for the NFL is if you have someone that is a bit more injury prone, uh, that certainly is worrisome because it is a, a different league. Uh, pun intended, I suppose. That's not a pun, but. Uh, joke intended there. It is a it is a different league in the NFL. It's a different level of the sport, uh, very much so. So a guy being very injury prone can it can be a negative sign. I mean, RG3 comes to mind, uh, injury prone, and then injury prone in the NFL. Um, tie it back to, to OU. Um, I don't know, there's OU players that also, that also fit the bill, right? Yeah. A, a, yeah, bar owner Ryan Broyles, I guess, used to play football. <laughs> Uh, at one point and was was injury prone. So um, that's certainly something that's worrisome. But I, I think D lineman, this is a little bit different than what I just said about receiver. I think that's a position group where development does matter a lot. I think there's a lot more skill to that position than people realize. Uh, and I think there's a lot more instinct to that position than than people realize, which is, I think, very much a skill. I mean, you have to just develop that, that football instinct in that position. And you know, obviously playing D even at the most competitive high school levels is nowhere near what it is in big boy college football. And, and it's, that's obviously nowhere near what it is in the NFL. So I think that is a position where, you know, a guy maybe doesn't have the most impressive college career or, or maybe had higher expectations for what his ceiling may have been and can still have a very, very successful NFL career. I, I think he can, I think like we talked about, you know, that's a very system dependent position as well. You're very dependent on, on your defensive coordinator. And if you look at a guy that played at OU from 2018 to 2022, you know, can you really point to him having a really solid defensive coordinator at all the entire time? So I think the NFL scouts might be looking at that as well and saying, you know, I can fix him. I can, that's a, you know, maybe, maybe they're looking at him like someone looking to flip a house and they're saying, Oh, look at that. Like nobody, that house has never been purchased by a serious flipper. I know I can come in and, and do good stuff with that. So I, I think he oh, has yeah. super, super high potential. I'm not reading into too much. Oh, he's just a really good combine guy. Like he's really good at, at doing combine stuff. He obviously is, but I, I don't know that he's, um, cause I I've heard that talking point, like you guys just mentioned where, you know, great in the combine, but you're trying to point to the on the field stuff where you, you say, oh, wow, he's a super, superstar. 
and it's just not there, I think that one might be the rare situation where it's not necessarily his fault too much that it's not there. I mean, this guy is got all these things, these intangibles that you can't teach. You can't teach a, a defensive lineman with that size to run a four eight forty. You can't get him what it was like thirty five inch vertical. You can't you can't teach that. But like I think you made a good point, Ty. Is there going to be coaches in this league that are going to look at his tape and look, especially look at the combine because people get you know twinkly eyes with combine numbers. That's how Khalil Mack rose up all the way to nearly the top and became one of the best pass rushers. And my dog just barged in this room like Big Bird <laughs> and didn't even walk in. Just opened the door and just barged it like the, the Big Bird meme. Um, but like that's like you get that's how people look at you. And Khalil Mack rose up the board like that, and that and he became one of the pass best pass rushers in the NFL. Um, people are gonna look at that tie because. If you think of Jalen Redmond, you say the defense coordinator situation, absolutely. And also think about his health. He got unlucky and got put into the hospital, you know, and it made him miss like a whole year. And it feel like he didn't really get right from that even the next year after that. He hasn't had like a time where I've had a solid defensive coordinator in my back pocket the whole time teaching me because in high school, this wasn't a guy who was playing the interior defensive line. He was an athlete that we recruited, and he was not that highly rated in, out of Midwest City and just kept going up and up and up because people were how big of uh, you know an athlete he was. He needs more time to get developed, and there are going to be people that are going to take a fly on him. He's not going to be an every-down defensive lineman. We know that, but, man, because he you know come in as a sub on third down and create some issues on the pass rush. Well, he also opted out of 20, uh, 20, uh, 2020, right? Like I seem to remember him being one of the guys who opted out. So he hasn't had like a, a very like regular career at OU. And, you know, I, that's not, you know, that not a dig or anything. It's just been a really weird kind of run for him. And, you know, adding a whole global pandemic in there definitely will, uh, will do that. Um, but, you know, I think getting, I, I think durability is definitely a concern and you just really hope that the issues he had were just a, just a blip and he can get stronger and be more durable and have a long career. But like, I mean, like Ty said, it is a tough league, especially in the trenches. Yeah, that's correct. And I think you could, you could also, if, if NFL scouts are really diving into this, uh, he did, he did opt out of 2020. And then like we, like we touched on, he had some just other medical issues not related to to uh, injuries that had taken him out. And, and I think people maybe don't appreciate how significant just conditioning time is to making you injury proof. And if you have a guy that's opted out, you know, halfway through for an entire season throughout or through his college career, then has also had some some other health stuff that has impacted not only ability to play and play well, but, you know, his ability to to fully participate in the conditioning program. Of course, you're going to be a little bit more injury prone. So you might be able to look into that and say, hey, maybe he's not necessarily an injury prone guy. There's just been some other stuff going on that has been a contributing factor. So I think with him, you know, I think my final thought would be he's he's very much a, a question mark, which is, you know, a knock on some people in the draft. You don't necessarily know what you're going to get. But I think that, you know, most NFL teams and NFL scouts are, are smart enough to realize Every player coming in is a is a question mark, really. You know, performance in college doesn't always indicate how well you can be in the league. I mean, look at Patrick Mahomes, you know, in college, national champion, Heisman winner, Big 12 conference winner, never lost a game at Texas Tech. You know, nobody would have guessed that he would go on to be a, uh, a good quarterback in the NFL, you know.
Yeah, that's true. That's true. NBA fans, it's time to bring the hoops action to the palm of your hand with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. This week, new customers can bet $5 and win $200 in free bets instantly. Plus, for a limited time, all new and existing customers can get a no-sweat same-game parlay every day. Go to the DraftKings Sportsbook app today, opt in, and place a same-game parlay on any NBA game, and if it doesn't hit, you'll get a free bet back. And look, I'll say this, any same-game parlay with Shea Gilgis-Alexander for the Thunder in it is absolute money. I love this guy. He's been putting up the stats, putting up the numbers. So if you see if you see Shea out there, you best believe that that's the move. I, I love that guy. So download the app now and sign up with co- promo code TPPN. New customers can bet $5 on the NBA and get $200 in free bets instantly. Only a DraftKings Sportsbook an official sports betting partner of the NBA with code TPPN. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. Void in Ohio. See those show notes for details. Now, back to the Schooner Pod. Um, let's talk about the other side of the trenches here. What? I'm sorry. <laughs> Did you, was it, were you listening at all? It said Patrick Mahomes when he won the high. Yeah, I, I was. I, I, no, Bobby funny. said that. That's true, and I go, bruh. This dude said, "Who would have thought Patrick Mahomes would have been a good NFL quarterback?" And I was like, "Okay, let's see how Bobby reacts to this." This dude said, "It's true. This dude was a first round pick." Like, yeah, okay, no, like, I, we can move I on. I zoned out. I got, I got a, uh, I got a very, I got a very inopportune text at a very, and I, I just put it, put that thing on do not disturb because I, I got, I, I got sent off a text game. in our group text during that. I sent the big bird. Game just for reference so i, <laughs> I got th- i got like, thrown you know, off reference since y'all didn't understand right. i i will take it over for you bobby uh you know the other side i think the biggest thing that we can talk about for the draft here coming up in april which is almost like a month and a half away uh is anton harrison he's going to be the first sooner that comes off the board um just kind of numbers that he did uh ran a sub five four nine eight um 40 yard dash, really not that good. Vertical is 28 and a half inches, not that good. I mean, he's not going to show out, uh, you know, in the combine because that's just really, he's a lot, it's really nothing much to him. Uh, They're going to look at his tape. Uh, Offensive linemen, there's not many offensive linemen that perform very well at combines. And if they're that athletic at offensive line, I guarantee you they had coaches in their ears trying to get them to play defensive line their whole life. Well, yeah, not only that, but like, I I feel like the combine, like you like you said, it it some of the some of the things they test for it aren't exactly super applicable. The forty yard dash, for example, th- they don't go running like that often. And uh, yeah, yeah, poor Wanya Wanya Morris, unfortunately, you know, hurt his hamstring doing that. So that's that's brutal. But no, I I mean Anton Harrison, you know what he has done, the leap he has take taken over his years has been unreal. Um, Beanbo had put in some serious work with him. Um, and not only that, but like, yeah, like you said, look at the tape, look at the stats. He had what one sack of all of last year, something like that. He, he was unreal. Yeah. I think, and this is interesting because I, I think we've had three very different talking points on the three players. Uh, that we've discussed so far. I think they're, they could almost be taken as, as contradictory, but I, I really don't think they are because you have to look at these, each position group is so different. And I think when it comes to an offensive lineman specifically, where you're coming from at OU, the coaching that you're coming from, the system that you're coming from, 
is very much a very, very good indicator of success in the NFL. Look at look at OU players in the NFL right now and, and super, super successful ones. It is just littered with not just successful linemen, but very, very high-end NFL linemen that have all been produced by this specific system and broadly coaching group that um, Anton Harrison has coming in. So it's I think you can look at it and say, yeah, okay, combine performance like we talked about in the position group as a whole. The NFL combine is not necessarily designed for a, an offensive lineman, but you have to look at, at the other stuff that's, I don't think, necessarily an intangible, but look at the system he operated in. Look at how well he operated in that system. We know that guys coming from this system have almost to a, you know, to a man been extremely successful in the NFL, have been extremely adaptable to all sorts of different NFL systems. We know that OU and the coaching staff at OU in recent time has been very, very good at selecting and developing and then outputting offensive linemen. And I think that that's going to be a, a massive, massive thing. And I think it's a completely different animal than a receiver that you can look at and say, oh, a lot of turnover, a lot of different systems, you know, a lot of different, uh, you know, quarterback stuff that maybe could attribute uh, or that you could attribute his lack of performance to or defensive linemen, you know, really solid on the uh, on the stats and the combine. But you can point to the system again, you know, has been shaky, hasn't been the best. Can't really, you know, point to a whole ton that that it's done in terms of developing guys in that position group. But offensive line, I think, is is night and day different. I think going into the NFL combine as an offensive lineman, just having OU on your resume, I think, you know, doesn't do all the work for you, but I think it, it carries a lot more value than OU fans uh, would believe. Well, so I think OU fans might overvalue OU on the resume for most position groups as a whole, but I think that offensive linemen specifically just coming from OU in recent time, I think that is severely undervalued just because it's not, you know, it's not the flashiest position. Not as many people follow it, but I think that's, you know, I, I think you're very, very well set and, and it doesn't necessarily matter what your, your vertical and everything else is. Uh, if, if you're coming from our system. I, I mean, Ty, you're exactly right. The OU fraternity of, of O lineman has been so good recently under Bill Biedenbow. You're, you're 100% over that. Um, I mean, look at the Kansas city chiefs. Um, two of those guys, OU Bill Biedenbow guys with uh, Orlando Brown and, and uh, Creed Humphrey um, on the biggest stage. One of the best offensive linemen performance or line performances um, really all, all season long in the NFL uh, on the biggest stage. So um, no, I, I I'm, and, and Bobby, I'm with you. Both What's of, up? Both of them, Bobby were disrespected during the draft pro, um, process too. Orlando Brown didn't even want to talk about his 40 yard dash. And let me comment the 498 is a good, good time for an offensive lineman. I'm just saying, in general, to everyone else there, yeah, it's just not a sexy time. That's, um, but you know, Orlando Brown got clowned for his 40 yard dash, <laughs> fell down draft boards because of that. Stupid. Creed Humphrey was supposed to be a first round pick, fell out of the first round and became an all pro pretty much in his first year. Like, it, there's a disrespect oh, yeah. there, and they're realizing, okay. No, this is a fact here, and they're they're really smart players for one because Orlando and Creed are smart offensive linemen, and they're taught well in fun, with their fundamentals here at OU. You're right. The, the, the smarts that that's what takes them over, and you know I, I remember one thing with the Orlando Brown thing. I, I'm pretty sure they 
the biggest point they clowned him on was his um uh he, he didn't have a really good bench press uh or something like that in addition to the 40 because yeah, it was, it was, was the 40 the, and the bench it was it was horrible yeah i think it shoot at that point like texas that that i can't remember his name that recruiting guy who's who knows where he's at now was like clowning on him like brian carrington he, brian Car- i think he's at tcu now uh i don't know where, where he but um yeah i, I remember him clowning, clowning on it on him too and you know it's one of those things like i mean the combine doesn't mean everything uh Kevin Durant got clowned on for not being able to do bench pressing as well. He turned out okay. It it can it obviously can you know give you a good sign of a lot of things, but like you said, those smarts, what you learn from a particular coach in a particular school, that's everything. Yeah, talk about system guys. You had to bring up Kevin Durant. Four, um, fourteen, fourteen reps, fourteen reps on the bench. I just looked it up. I I remember it was not that good. Like these offensive linemen are getting like twenty five, thirty, even higher than that. Fourteen, was it two twenty five? They do. Yeah. Yep. Um, but the man is he is a unit. He can move his feet. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, we kind of touched on Wanya Morris. That was a bummer. Uh, any anyone else? Honestly, I, I you want Michael Ty, you want to talk about Michael Turk, right? <laughs> I mean, maybe is he going to go somewhere? He he ran a four eight three forty, and he had a he um, he had a similar vertical to Jalen Redmond. <laughs> do you guys think? I mean, I I haven't been following. Do you guys think he has a chance of of actually going somewhere? He's not. I don't know if he gets drafted, but I mean, there are going to be teams that he's going to be on. You know, a training camp. Um, you know, he's got a leg. Everyone knows that, but you know, his accuracy to keep it within the 20 really did fall last year, at least from my point, I'm not looking at it. I just know I was a little disappointed a lot in him being one of the best punters in the nation. And I feel like he didn't pinpoint it as well as he could. Um, not looking at stats, just all eyeball here, but, um, he'll get a shot just because of what he can do kicking, how far he can kick the football. Yeah, yeah. I, I think his dream is to get drafted by Dude Perfect, not necessarily by an <laughs> NFL team. But uh, that's a YouTube uh, page that does uh, like trick shots and stuff. If if you're listening and you're not familiar, um, oh, but- how is Dude Perfect still alive? I, I still every single time I see their names, I'm like, how? Like, what? I think they do brand and like marketing deals and stuff now. I, I don't think their primary thing is is the YouTube page specifically. Sure. I think they have like. Like if you go into a, a Target or a Walmart, I think there's like a whole line of like frisbees and basketballs and stuff that they uh, well, sponsor and all sorts of stuff. Sponsor well, or produce one of those. Well, they go, they they go on tours. Like you can buy tickets to go see Dude Perfect. Oh at the my Bank god, that is that is almost as bad as the like um what is it the Impractical Jokers tour? Like that's just <laughs> what are they doing? Conversation, <laughs> just horrible. What? Like what? Who's gonna thing. go see in the Paycom? And it's in the Paycom that big of an arena. That oh. do you think they're gonna sell that many tickets? They are putting them deck. in a diamond ballroom. Upper well, deck they can't. Ticket, it's forty three dollars. They can't oh. sell. They can't sell all the tickets because they have to be shooting from the upper deck. That's like oh, their whole, right. their whole thing. Ooh, oh, yeah, that's probably part of it. What? But you, are you just are you just I, watching what? them miss miss really long shots the entire time? What happens you can with go the ball? Hang around some fourteen-year-olds in a sweaty gym late at night and do that instead. Like, okay, like why here's, are you going to do that? Here's my counterpoint. I think they would be 
a top 1% NFL or not NFL NBA halftime performance. I mean, that's like their bread and butter. They should they, come out. And... Got... I, I, they got 20, they got 20 minutes to do that. You think they're going to make a shot in 20 minutes? What happens if they don't? Everyone's going to be like, it's a, imagine watching red Panda fail every single time she throws a bowl on her head. And then the, the, the halftime thing kids like these trick shots they take all day to film and then they edit it like they're going to be talented but it's a lot of luck and a lot of time and a lot of effort and i swear to god if i had to watch that for a halftime (laughs) thing and just see 20 minutes of this dude miss like try to throw a frisbee from the upper deck into like a basketball hoop and missing over and over i don't know if i could watch that it would not be as bad as the time someone almost drowned at the uh, thunder game well that that was just scary that was that was Oh, peak peak one bad moment in Thunder history was that that was and, that was and really then bad. Tommy Two Tone for getting the words five three oh nine um as a halftime. That was bad. I don't know how he. How do you forget the name? How do you forget the number? It's it's literally made you all of your money. Ugh, it's bad. He, I think it's because he was not in the right state of mind. He was obviously he was let he. Oh my god, it was so so bad. Um, but I guess you're right, Ty. There's there openings. There's a lot worse out there. Maybe that's what we need to be doing instead of the schooner pod is just trying to throw frisbees in, in places. Thunder house. We're way too old for that. You spend a whole damn day throwing frisbees. <laughs> Dude. God. It's almost it's almost summer. We're gonna have competition. You know who would be good at it though? You know, would be good at it though, and is potentially going to be unemployed after April. Michael Turk. Oh, so, <laughs> Michael there you Turk, go. If, <laughs> if you're listening, uh, just go get, kick around at the Thunder halftime. I guess I know you'll come up with something. Uh, I I think the bigger question is now. Nah, I'm gonna. I was gonna. I was gonna say, is Michael T- Turk closer to the NFL or joining the ministry? Yeah, I had a, I couldn't, I couldn't formulate it, but I was, I was trying to come up with some sort of joke that revolved around youth pastor version of Pat McAfee. Um, but I I just couldn't, it couldn't come to me, but there, there you go. I, let's move on, but it's good. Um, all right. Um, so that's all we kind of have for the Columbine. I did want to. Before we go, before we go into a Cruden corner, do we want to just kind of touch on the border regions stuff? Um, yeah, stop yeah, taking so... our money away and getting to those losing football. <laughs> oh my god, uh, Jameson is cutting out a little bit, but uh, I, oh, great. I know what you mean. I know what you mean. So looks like they're trying to approve a couple board of regents projects here. Um, some of it's small, like nine million, like you know, uh, nine million to the LNC. They're Upgrading the softball facility, uh, $45 million renovation to the baseball field. Uh, that's that's nice, uh, as long as they don't take away our hill, uh, which they probably will. Uh, but anyways, the big one, the big item, $175 million for a new football facility. Um, this is big time, especially because we just did a whole lot um, with the South End Zone project. So the fact that there is another facility that needs to get done uh, pretty crazy, pretty big time stuff. To put this number in comparison, I saw someone tweet this out. I think someone from the Tampa Tampa Bay Tribune. Um, Florida just just came out with a like 
stunning, like top tier cutting edge facility for $85 million. So 175, pretty unreal. This is the type of facility you want to build if you want to compete in the SEC. Am I right? Yeah, for sure. I think uh, I, I was reading in, in my research for this as well. I think doing the comparisons does kind of help. So first off, our existing thing was part of a $160 million expansion, which obviously a lot of that went to uh, closing out the sides of the stadium itself. So not necessarily anywhere close to $160 million went into the existing weight room locker room and other football specific facilities that are there things like the uh, the head coach's office and things like that and that was only in 2018 that we gained that stuff uh, our stadium now will our 175 million dollar not stadium but expansion to football facilities will be the most expensive one in the sec uh, at least when we show up, I would expect that several other teams are sort of on the cusp because of the rate of advancement that we're starting to see. Uh, several other teams are probably also on the cusp in the next couple of years of unveiling just completely new things as well. But uh, I, just looking at it, last year, Bobby, you touched on on Florida doing an $85 million expansion. Georgia just did one that was $80 million. So again, significantly less than $175 million. Of course, uh, South Carolina, not necessarily worth a comparison. Um, but and then even stuff that, that has been planned, this OU football specific facilities expansion, we're expected to to outspend and be outspending uh, Florida State as well and some other notable ones. So we're, we're definitely coming in and doing our part when it comes to to the donors putting money into uh, facilities and, and the department put, putting money into facilities. And I know this sort of leads into a little bit different discussion that, that we're not planning on having, but I think if you ask me, is it better money to put money into facilities right now or put it into NIL collectives? I still think that facilities might give you the better ROI because facilities are an everyone thing. And I think we touched on this, Bobby, when, we, when you and I did that question pod, I don't know if anyone at OU can specifically point to NIL doing anything concrete for this OU team. Obviously, there's a potential that it has, and we're just not noticing. But I, I don't know that that's necessarily the massive recruiting driver that people thought it would be for, for most places. And I think that facilities are still the king in terms of big money investments into your team when it comes to actual ROI. Because I think facilities, you know... You can't have NIL money in the background on game day. You can't put it on flyers. You can't put it in commercials. I think it helps the, the university and obviously the town as a whole. I think there's a much better ROI on facilities. So I am very happy to see uh, this massive investment by OU that is going to be built uh, where the the old Switzer Center uh, or the old Switzer. It wasn't called the Switzer Center. Uh, the Switzer building that uh, was the football and athletic dorms in, in the 80s. Uh, was so sort of right across the uh, the street from the stadium on that Jenkins and and Lindsay intersection, right? Yeah, no, it, and I, I think it is a big deal, like a bigger deal than the NIL collectives, because I think it, it's an, easy, an easier draw in a way because it's like, oh, you get to put your name on the plaque and 
you know, all that. You can't you can't put your name on one of the on, on one of the players. It just doesn't work uh, due to multiple multiple problematic reasons. Uh, but um, no, I I think it is a big deal. And look, when when Thad Turnipseed was hired at OU, and we mentioned him, we hyped him up. This is why because this is what he does. He comes in and he absolutely cooks some magnificent facilities. So I think he's going to go in. And look, obviously we haven't seen it. We haven't seen the concept art or anything, but 175 million is a, that is a, a wonderful, wonderful facility waiting to happen. Yeah. I think that's obviously the thing that we need to talk about the most. And I heard a lot of people getting angry about some of the football coaches getting raises. That's what I saying whenever I cut out, why, why should we be given our losing coaches a raise? Um, but it's just probably like under this under the table thing that they said when they signed their contract saying that you're going to get this raise at this time. It's, it's probably just, you know, part of like the routine. So I'm really not reading into that too much, but I'm, I'm excited to see. Um, I cut out. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> Tune in next week to find out what he's excited to see. Uh, he is still frozen. Uh, but what a great, I, I what a great, say, what a great picture to freeze on too. Yeah, I, uh, I will say just not necessarily to be devil's advocate, but I, I think I think Jameson is right. It, these raises are probably written in contracts, regardless. Uh, at the same time, I don't necessarily know that the people that are saying why are we giving raises to these people? I don't know that those people are wrong unless we're talking about, you know, Bill Biedenboe or, or someone like that. I think obviously there's some specific position groups and, and things like that, that you can point to and say, yeah, you know, that guy deserves a raise, but we're talking about, Oh, has, has this person met a, a performance raise? I, I think there's a fair argument that mm, I don't know if anyone has on the coaching staff, but yeah, performance. I, I I agree. I think this was a scalable or a scaled sort of deal, um, and I, I will say it is interesting. Ted Roof, the only coach to not get a get a um a race. So uh, there you go. So at least you can't be mad at Ted Roof uh, for getting a raise. But um, I don't know. It's 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 always interesting, and I feel like these always kind of happen. You know, it happened with Lincoln Riley. It happened with Stoops. Uh, it's it's really just something thrown in that they have to approve manually. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, uh, the only other interesting thing I wanted to say, nine and a half million to the Lloyd Noble Center. It's really just to uh, modernize the um, the locker rooms. They, they're calling it the basketball suite, that sort of thing uh, for players and men's and women's. Uh, I feel like a lot of people were like, oh, no, like this must be in the new arena's dead or, you know. We need a new arena. Why are you putting money into that? Any new arena would take a long time to actually happen. And not only that, I, so I don't, I don't think it's 100% not going to happen, but mm -hmm. um, I will say Jimmy in the comments had a very funny one where he said uh, they need to upgrade the head coach of the men's basketball team. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Maybe we could do 175 million towards uh, the football team head coach too. Um, but I, I will say, Bobby, do you know, uh, because I, I don't, I haven't, I didn't read into the basketball that much. So if people aren't familiar, Lloyd Noble, 
obviously already has a, a several million dollar uh, expansions sort of added on to the, the south side of it. If you look at it, it's now like a, an eye shape. And that expansion added on to the south side is the all sports locker room or the all. Yeah, there's all sports locker rooms and then weight rooms and things that are shared by uh, basically every university level sport besides football. So uh, I guess, Bobby, are, are, do you know, are they just renovating the existing locker rooms within the LNC or are they expanding to that already expansion portion of the building? Right. So what you're talking about is like the Blake Griffin Performance Center. That is yeah. like like for training, practice, all that sort of stuff. What they'll be doing is just kind of gutting the locker rooms in to the LNC itself. proper. Yeah, okay. to, to LNC proper, just so it's not, you know, crappy. Uh, which yeah. I imagine it, it, it is kind of crappy just from some of the pictures I've seen. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think the final thought on that is is sort of touches on the, the Blake Griffin Center. I, I didn't know it was called that, uh, but I think it touches on the, the Blake Griffin Center and its existence. An investment into LNC. LNC is not going away, even if we have a new basketball uh, arena built. Just the LNC's location alone, because we're talking about the new basketball arena they're talking about up in, in northern Norman up by the the what used to be called North Campus, now most people know as as the OU Airport. Um, that would not fully replace LNC because LNC is not just basketball. So I, I think if I look at a nine million dollar investment into locker rooms and everything else in LNC, even if it is called the Basketball Suite expansion, uh, I'm seeing that, and certainly the Board of Regents is seeing that as a multi-purpose thing. That if you if you put money into a new basketball stadium, that's still there and could be taken over as, you know, maybe it becomes the new players suite and locker room facilities for gymnastics, or it, it you know, becomes a multi-purpose thing, or uh, there's all sorts of uses that that facility and that structure is not going away anytime soon. So I, I don't think that a $9 million investment into just one specific part of that building and complex uh, I don't read into that at all as we've given up hope on the uh, on the basketball expansion. Obviously, the bas- the new basketball stadium not happening this round of budget stuff, or we would know about that. But um, yeah, I don't think it's a, a lost hope. Yeah, it, it's just uh, everything is really bad there. We got to fix this specific thing ASAP. Um, Jameson, any thoughts on that? I don't know how much you heard. I know you moved uh, rooms there and everything. Yeah. Uh, internet connection is whack over there. Thought I'd be good, but since I'm using this older laptop, I guess I just wouldn't be able to handle it. I I, I agree. Uh, I think really we can put this to bed, end off this podcast a little bit of recruit corner, Bobby. Oh, absolutely. You know, Jameson, you know, you got married and everything. I think we got to play the music. Jamison. Yes. What is this? Then? Jamison. This is a rooted corner with Jamison. Everybody dancing. Oh, that's nice. Oh man, right. It, here's the thing: we are now into 2024 recruiting. It's a new season, and it takes so much effort to try to figure out everything 2024. You know, most fans know the names of like you know David Stone, and you've been hearing that for a while. But let's just hit on a couple of big names. I think that are more prominent right now, to where I think that are kind of like big talking points in the recruiting hemisphere right now for OU. I think the first one is Michael Hawkins just announced that he's going to be uh, announcing his commitment to his school of choice here 
April 7th or 8th, I believe. I, I'd have to double check on that. Um, but in about a month from now, and it's between us and TCU. If Michael Hawkins rings a bell, that's because his dad played here. He's a big OU fan and alumni. And he honestly, I feel like has been kind of lean to OU for a while now, whenever he was really young. Uh, but the problem was TCU came in and we kind of talked bad about the hire of Kendall Bryles, but you know, Hawkins really likes Bryles. They're really close with each other. So it comes down to the point of who is he going to pick, you know, the, the offense coordinator likes or the school that he likes. And we just offered his little brother and TCU has not offered his little brother. And so I think that's going to go a far ways to make us a favorite and probably get him um, as our quarterback for the 2024 cycle. Feels weird. Feels weird having a quarterback that is, you know, somewhat highly recruited. He's still, he's a four-star, but he's not a high four-star right after you get one of the best quarterbacks in the nation in the recruiting class. That's something that we didn't see under the Lincoln Riley era. Yeah. And it is interesting that it also kind of follows, follows a similar, similar path to Jackson Arnold who did not start off like super, super high and then blossomed into the quarterback that uh, he was when he, when he graduated. I don't know if he's going to be like this guy's stocks going to go crazy up. Honestly, he's been kind of dealing with some stuff off the field where he had to change high schools. Um, and I'm not going to get into that. Uh, but he's been kind of looked at for a while now and he is what he is. And he's very talented. I think that it's absolutely stellar to get a quarterback like him in our class. Whenever you're just taking a guy like Jackson Arnold the day, um, the cycle before I'm for it. Yeah. Less talented Spencer Rattler. I could not be more excited. Oh, quit. That's oh, right. <laughs> right. And oh, on, God. on the way, moving, moving on. Let's talk about, Recent Georgia decommit at the running back position, Tavani Mitzel, I think Mitzel. I don't know. We're still gonna have to figure out these pronunciations. Got a long year ahead of us. Uh, Tavani Mitzel, let's go with that one. Um, he's four star running back, visited OU recently, and then after the visit, said he was gonna step away from his commitment at Georgia. Whenever you read the tea leaves, you're like, oh man, did OU just blow it away? Like, this is totally in the bag. Are we gonna flip him here? Um, it looks like he, OU opened his eyes and he really liked OU. Um, but he's not going to make the flip just now, but we are a big name in his recruitment and running back is a position that we are recruiting very well this cycle. Um, hopefully, and he will be one of the big names that you'll be paying attention to. So Devani Mitzel, Mizell, whatever, uh, keep that name in your brain. And then another one that, you know, um, guys over at two, four, seven have been putting in crystal balls. Um, which I think might be a little bit, you know, you know, ahead of their time. Maybe they're just trying to get them in early. The things with these crystal balls, you can just change them last second if anything changes. So like these OUB guys are going to put in OU crystal balls for guys that, you know, are high up, you know, top, um, top five OU guys and just see what happens. Um, so I don't think they're going to pull a, uh, what's his name? What's that ball two, four, seven guy. Well, um, the, the has well, the bombs. Well, yeah. Yeah. Wilt Fong just change it last second, right before David, um, Hicks. David Hicks does his commitment. That was miserable. Um, but still I'm not buying too much into that, but let's talk about him. Cause people want to know these guys' names. Um, I think the one that we need to talk about the most is Williams Nawanery. Um, and he is a Missouri guy. I think Bobby, I saw you tweeting about it last week saying that we are doing really well in Missouri. And that's cause we are. And his teammate, who you probably went up against in practice every single day, was Caden Green, offensive line um, commit that we got last year. He's now going to be a freshman in this coming season. And this Nawanery guy, top 10 player in the nation. 
Here's another big high-end defensive line prospect that OU is in on that we have connections with, and he seems to like us. I think that we're going to be a player in his recruitment, and he's going to be that next, you know, David Hicks that we're going to be talking about for a while now. I don't really have a lot to say on that one. I think he's going to be, he could be good. I don't know. It's so early that I don't know much of these You're guys. Really well. Anything to say. I just want those names is, to be in your head because that's like, those are the ones that people are talking about right now. Is there a specific like reason that we can point to that OU is doing well recruiting in, in Missouri? Like, do we have someone on our staff that has established uh, pipelines there? Or is it just sort of a, a, is it something that we sort of have to read into the tea leaves and say, oh, it looks like we must be pushing because we're getting results? Or or is it a matter of chance? Or, or get, Basically, what I'm saying, can you point to something or, or is it something that we have to sort of interpret? That's a good question. Here's the thing. So if you want to just kind of break it down, um, Caden Green was an OU legacy. He was a big OU fan coming in, and he was a highly rated offensive tackle, but like he was an OU fan growing up. So that was big for him. And then, you know, having Nawanari as his teammate obviously makes that helpful. Think about Ronnie Perkins. I believe Ronnie Perkins' coach or somebody was a huge OU person, like a big OU fan, and it was constantly mm-hmm. in his ear. So that was big for the Missouri area. It it's kind of makes you think, right? And then, obviously, we were had Luther Burden um, as our commit for a while, too, which was a big deal, like one of the best wide receivers in the country before Missouri came flying in with their NIL deal. But I think we just kind of it's it's a close proximity state, and there's going mm-hmm. to be OU fans that are going to be around that area because not all OU fans stay in Oklahoma. And we've gotten lucky with a couple, and I think it's big. Like you see this a lot. I feel like we talked about it a lot these past couple of years. We find these legacy guys, and we're very lucky that their dad or their mom or someone was a big OU um, fan. You know, Jaden Hazelwood, Exhibit A. Like we wouldn't even be in that conversation if it wasn't for his dad. You know, um, so Caden Green, another thing. He grew up an OU fan. These are big, big deals. Same thing with Michael Hawkins. Massive, massive name you're missing in the Missouri uh, conversation. PJ Adebowale out of KC. Oh, completely forgot about that. And that was just – I think the thing with PJ is his parents are, you know, very traditional. Like, you know, I I don't know how recently they came, but they're like Nigerian. And their values really, really synced up with Brent Venables and they really, the dad really, really connected well with them. And obviously PJ did too. Um, you know, strong faith, high work ethic gets the job done. No nonsense. And that's exactly what Brent Venables put. Yeah. 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 I think I maybe, maybe, maybe a bit of a conspiracy, but maybe uh, people from Missouri, I think most of them probably like the chiefs. I, I'm, maybe jumping to conclusions there. I, I think so. most people from Missouri maybe like the Chiefs and maybe they've noticed that of the Chiefs, the most uh the the college that produces the most Chiefs players currently is OU. So maybe maybe we're doing a good job uh there. Although I guess it looks like Orlando Brown probably departing with the Chiefs uh news as of I guess the past couple days and then and then probably today. But uh, yeah, OU producing the most Chiefs players and all of those players, those those four OU players uh, that went on to be Chiefs players all also play. So I think that's an important, um, important thing. Maybe, maybe, yeah. you know, you yeah. never know. Yeah. And I think Brent has a lot of, uh, I don't know, interest in the Kansas, Missouri, specifically more Kansas-y area. Uh, yeah. Just being from there, you know, um, I think that's one thing that. It does give off. At. Very Midwestern vibes. 
you get that sort of Midwestern vibe from Brent. Probably connects with you. I think that's yeah. I think that's a big thing. They definitely have that Midwestern kind of kind of vibe about it. I think, I, I yeah, think I think cool. what happens is you got a big recruit from Missouri, and he gets a visit by by uh, Nick Saban, and uh, <laughs> Mr. Saban knocks on the door and says, you know, does his routine like you see in the movie The Blind Side. Hi, I'm Nick Saban. Can I come in? And then he comes in. He doesn't show you, but he's bothered that you didn't offer him a sweet tea. And he sits down and tells you about all the things that the University of Alabama has to offer. And then he departs. And then Brent Venables comes the next day and he accidentally knocks on your neighbor's door and is like, oh, I'm sorry. I was looking for so-and-so. Your neighbor walks him over. He knocks on your door. He says, hi, I'm Brent Venables. I'm here to talk to your son about playing football. He trips on your rug as he's walking in. He says, oh, excuse me there. And then uh, (laughs) let me just sneak on by you. And then he comes on in and then he gives you the same spill, but with the, with the Midwestern vibes, not to say say Nick Saban rude, but it's a cultural awareness thing. You have to be a bit of a, a bumbling oaf and uh, say Ope a few times to to really connect with them. It's a cultural thing. You just got to slip a couple Opes there. And then you're like, (laughs) yeah, you got to bump into someone. You got to, you got to, you know, squeeze by you got to turn sideways to like fit through something that you would have fit through either way uh just different things like that let me squeeze pats together yeah it's uh, just i feel like it's turning into a progressive commercial maybe a little bit maybe a little bit but uh, i did so i did to take it back to the more serious note I, I think it's it's important to look at at victories and and no matter how big or small and i think as ou fans it is a it's an exceedingly it's a, it's a good victory, whether we're aware of it or not, to be recruiting well within, as much as I hate to say it, Missouri and SEC State. And it looks really good on us if, you know, obviously Missouri probably the least significant SEC, well, maybe not the least significant SEC State for producing football talent, but certainly not in the, the top, top end. And if we can come in and, and we're already recruiting well there, obviously we're, like we said, we're regional to that area, especially up in the in the Tulsa region, I know there's a big Tulsa to, to Kansas City connection, specifically with a lot of people. And and uh, but it looks good if we're already having established pipelines within these SEC states that aren't just oh we recruit well nationally because obviously you know the big five stars, high end four stars are all getting recruited by everyone nationwide. But to establish those regional pipelines is is very very important. And like we talked about brand, you know brand from players in the NFL and recognizing this guy went to OU. Look at how he turned out. He's on my favorite team in the NFL. If I want to go play for the Chiefs, statistically, obviously it's not how it works in the NFL, but statistically, if I want to go play for the Chiefs, my best chance is to be an OU player um, or or people, you know, whose parents grew up on on OU. That's super, super important. I mean, the, the value of, of brand is so, so significant. And it's a, it's a win for OU, for sure. That not just these individual recruits, but to establish a pipeline within the state of Missouri. Because you never know, one of these guys, you know, 30 years down the line could have two twins that are both five stars at some sort of position. And they remember how fondly their dad spoke of OU when he was getting recruited by OU and how fondly their dad thought of OU when he was in high school and was watching all these OU players on the Chiefs. It's just, it's, it's an absolute butterfly effect. So very, very cool. All it takes is screwing up the first locket, and then you have a bunch of lockets not going to OU. You know, exactly. It's okay. We have a break for a little bit after this last locket, and then it's gonna hopefully take its time before Tyler has a kid. I think we, I think we offered one of the lockets. I, I seem to remember. No, it's, seeing... You forget that it's in waves, right? Like it's like we had the one that we screwed up on, 
right? Yeah. And then that's like we had to deal with him. And then we had a little bit of a gap. But then here come his descendants. And now all of a sudden there's six of them. And then we have to deal with them in a wave. And then we're like, oh, good, we're gone. <laughs> and then and it's then a giant like army. <laughs> in 10 years. Yeah, it's 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 compound interest. With, with 10 years? There's going to be a chain of like 30 of them that come through. And, maybe, and eventually oh. the entire K-State roster is just going to be them. And then they're going to have to Don't tell me the Lockett kids are reproducing campuses. at 10 years old. 2050 is going to be oops all lockets just no, all I'm saying, 10 Kansas years State. from now 10 years from now the ones that we were dealing with like five to ten years ago will like we'll start dealing with them like that'll be the start of the wave ah, yes you know yes, yes, yes. and the then lo the locketing the locketing i don't know yeah jameson is also... in the eye of the hurricane right now going oh thank goodness this is beautiful weather i'm glad we got through that <laughs> And here comes a whole other half. I'll say this. I'll say this about Tyler Lockett, though, is he might be the only Oklahoma City Thunder fan in Tulsa. Yeah, uh, good for which him. Is, it's always funny seeing him tweet about the Thunder and then all the Seahawks fans turn on him. Wait, only Oklahoma City Thunder fan in Seattle. Did I say Tulsa? Yes, I was about, you said Tulsa. Tulsa. And I said, uh, I was thinking here, I was like, maybe it's not right. something it's I don't. No, I, was oh, I God, thought it was no. one of those haha, Tulsa doesn't have a team things that we were <laughs> no. going to go now. <laughs> no, he's the only he's the only Thunder fan in Seattle. So sometimes the Seahawks fans get all mad at him. But um, <laughs> all right, I think that's pretty much all we got, guys. Well, uh, anything you want to say before we wrap this thing up? No, good no? episode. Other than me breaking up, I should have just stayed in the same location I usually do. But that's just me being rusty. Yeah. Well, to be fair, Ty Ty gets MVP of this episode because he's the only one that didn't either have technical issues or completely disassociate from their body. <laughs> I watched Bobby's face go blank and yeah, it's true. And I was so like, bad. Ty it's just so said bad, an man. absolute cold as shit take. So it's I have cold. this whole no, it's not a cold take. I have I can't believe you guys didn't notice. I have this whole running joke in our group text about how Patrick Mahomes won a Heisman, won the Big 12, was undefeated, then won a national championship at Texas Tech because, like we talked about with, obviously, uh, frequent co-host Boat and Blake always talks about how, why did Texas Tech give Patrick Mahomes like some sort of awards? We understand he's successful in the NFL, but what did he do at Tech? Just a bunch of six and six seasons where he would put up like high, he would have like a bunch of seven touchdown games but he'd also have like three or four interceptions in each one of those games. And they would still end up losing like 77 to 63. I'm not sure if that math works out, but um, he would just like, that was his Texas tech career. Obviously a lot of that was Cliff Kingsbury's fault, but yeah. So the, the running joke that will be more frequent on the podcast too, Pat Mahomes, Heisman, national champion, undefeated big 12 champion. Cause he didn't do any of those things. Obviously he's very successful in the NFL. I'm not trying to, it's more of an anti-tech joke than it is. Well, an he's also like he's also like, oh, I want to give back to Texas Tech University so badly, and I'm like, dude, they they sandbagged him maybe a little bit there. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, that's fine. All right, for me, Jameson and Ty, this has been the Schooner Pod. Thank you all so much for listening, and thank you to our partners, uh, TPPN and DraftKings Sportsbook. Uh, we appreciate them for all the support. Until next time which I believe will be the March Madness podcast that OU is not a part of, but it's fun. Have a good week, everyone. Boomer Sooner. Vamos.